Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to day 38 of the 7 a.m. Novelist 50 Day Writing Challenge First Draft Edition. I almost forgot what my own podcast was called. I am Michelle Hoover, your host. It is day 38 and we are still waking up early in the morning. This week we're talking about managing the awful middle ground of your book. And this can be the really the place where books either make it or break it. Um, but one very important way to figure out how to get that middle to work to survive is the dramatic question. And we're talking today with John McClure about the dramatic question. So John is a recovering philosopher who says he just can't keep Aristotle from coming up in conversation. And John, I actually mentioned Aristotle yesterday, so I'm, I'm like that too. His short fiction has appeared in Fatal Flawed Literary Magazine, and he's a graduate of Grub Street's Novel Incubator. He's also written like five novels. So, <laughs> and he's still working on the dramatic questions of those novels, but they are brilliant, beautiful novels. Um, he's also an amateur baker, musician, and crackpot. He prefers to write about the ordinary as if it's profoundly weird and spends most of his time debating with his husband, his crazy dog, and lots of dead and made up people. He's currently finishing a novel in verse about a family, a cabin, and a maybe or not maybe imaginary bear. John, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being on with us and helping us out with this difficult question of the dramatic question. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Um, okay, for you, what is the dramatic question? What is the strange thing? Yeah, I think it's actually pretty straightforward. It's a concrete question, something that you could see on stage um, that the story raises, usually by not showing you something, I would say. Like, I like to say that we're architects of space and time. And so I think usually the dramatic question is raised about something that will happen in the future or something that maybe happened in the past, maybe. Um, or what's inside something that we don't see. Um, and so then the story carries us along wondering like, oh, what will, what will happen? Um, what's inside that thing? Um, and that curiosity pulls us along. It's excellent, excellent. Um, and I also wanted to talk about um, what the dramatic question is not, because I think that is, is very, very helpful. So one thing to think about is, okay, as John was talking about, the dramatic question is something concrete. So it's not, will the character find happiness? Will the character find a sense of completion? Will the character find a sense of freedom? It's, will the character marry Fred? Or, <laughs> you know, it's much more, and it can feel very simple like that. Or will they find out who did it? Will they find out why they did it? Um, these are kind of simple dramatic questions. In your mind, John, what are some dramatic questions from, from books and stories that you've loved that you felt have really, really worked? Well, part of what I love about it is you see it everywhere. You see it in like the lowbrow and the ordinary. You see it in literary fiction. My favorite book of, of recent years, you and I have talked about it a lot, like is All My Puny Sorrows, this incredible novel that I honestly, and I'm a pretty careful reader, I think, I couldn't tell you plot-wise, like scene by scene, what happens in that book. What I can tell you is that very early on, I grow to care deeply about two sisters, and one of them is suicidal. And so this question is raised, will the one sister kill herself? Yeah. And that's, that pulls you through 
the whole book. You see it also in like Game of Thrones, you know, who will inherit the Iron Throne or who is Jon Snow's mother? That's Those are two questions launched early in that book. You see it in Grey's Anatomy. Um, right away, uh, will Derek and Meredith get together? Um, you know, you see it in Pale Fire. Will, um, you know, who is this guy telling this poet's story? Why is he the one telling his story? That might not be super concrete, but um, so you see it everywhere. And what I love particularly is that it's simplistic only in that it's it's concrete, but it it does a lot of work and it really feels like it's at the heart of what storytelling is in some ways. Like here I am trapped in my flesh prison. I become curious about something and fixated on it. So I obsessively write for hours and hours every day about this question, you know, this character I'm trying to figure out or this idea, what if the world worked like this? And I write and write and write and write and try to figure it out and hopefully provoke that curiosity in you. And then you read about it looking for the answers to the similar questions. And so I think it's really just a transfer of curiosity. Excellent. And so the title, the first title that he mentioned, that he mentioned several was All My Puny Sorrows, which is a, a novel that I've also been um, obsessed with myself. It's by Miriam Taze, I think is how you pronounce her last name. And so again, we are, the, there's a mystery there that is, is one of the sisters going to kill herself? And this is also a mystery that the other sister has, and she's desperately trying to prevent. Um, she's going back through their history. Um, she's with the sister the present day. Um, and I won't tell you what happens with that question because it does complicate and change over the course of the novel um, and become something a little different by the end. So um, we also have joining us today, Christine Murphy, which I'm very glad. Um, we had some technical issues earlier today. We we're worried that Christine could not get on, but Christine is here today. Christine, Christine, I'm just going to give a, a biography about you and, and try to shoot. You know, Christine has got like a real life and a real job. She actually is a is a vice president in um, development and giving at a, at a major um, company up in Maine. Christine also has a PhD in religion, right? Christine's yeah. in Buddhism in, in particular. And Christine speaks about 12 languages, I think. Speaks and or can read about 12 languages. And Christine also just signed with an agent. Um, and we are very, very excited about that for her novel. Christine, welcome on the show. Christine, in your mind, Christine's like, oh, what's going on this morning? In your mind, what is the dramatic question? You know, John and I, first of all, I'm so sorry I'm late. I, I thank you, Michelle, for that, that lovely introduction. And you'd think I'd be able, with all those talents, to be able to keep tabs on my calendar. Not so much. Okay. Um, you know, John and I were chatting about this, the dramatic question. I, um, for me, it's, it's two parts. The one, th this might be an unusual sort of interpretation of it, but for me, it's, um, it's ultimately about the experience you want the reader to come away from your book with. So it reflects on whatever themes you're presenting in the book, the, the voice of the book, the, um, you know, genre as well. Uh, but really this idea of 
I, so I knit a lot and um, it, it always, I find it really interesting how many knitting patterns there exist for like sweaters, for example, because how many ways can you knit a sweater, right? Like you got, you got one space for your head and two spaces for your arms. You got to fit it on the torso and shake up the color or the, or the pattern a little bit, but like a sweater is a sweater guys. Um, and in a way, I think novels are a bit like that. Somebody might say, um, oh gosh, I'm writing a love story. And I think I love that. Okay. But so is the dramatic question, will they get together or not? Well, according to genre conventions, they have to, right? So I think the dramatic question is more, what kind, what, what sensation, what's the flavor of the story that you want the reader to really come away with, to, to understand the story as, because I think sometimes we can get caught up in this, um, okay, what's our hook? What's our inciting incident? We, we raise this question in the beginning and then we answer it by the end. Um, you know, all my puny sorrow, John recommended that book to me. Thank you, John. It's totally brilliant. Um, for me, the dramatic question, there wasn't so much, will the sister kill herself? It was more, why do we choose to live? Mm. And what makes life worth living for some people, but not for others. You so, know, and so that's yeah. really interesting because I do think, I do think you need the dumbed down concrete part of it to get to that larger thematic part, to give you something for your characters to do, for instance. However, that dumbed down dramatic part also, it does need to have that deeper meaning because as the novel or the story or the memoir, whatever continues, it, it's going to need to be complicated. Um, and so I've, I've been reading back through Susan Glassbell's, she's got a short play called The Trifles. And, and in that play, um, you have, you open up and, it's, and you're in a farmhouse and um, some policemen and, and their wives come into the farmhouse and the wife is sitting there and she says her husband's lying upstairs dead and he's been strangled by a, a cord of rope. And she's the wife is acting very strangely. Um, and so the, the men are like, oh, you know, are trying to find the killer and who did this. The women, meanwhile, are in the kitchen looking through the kitchen and what's happening in the kitchen and what, how clean it is or how clean it isn't and different, different things in the kitchen. And the men are completely disregarding anything that the women find because they just think that the women are not useful, that they're just uh, dilly-dallying about uh, trifles. However, the women do discover something that gives them the answer of, of, of not only what happened, because we know pretty early on that the wife, the reader knows pretty early on that the wife um, probably did it because the man was lying next to um, her in bed and she claims that she just sleeps really heavily so that someone else could slip a cord around his neck and die and be strangled. So we know pretty clearly that the wife did it. Uh, the men refuse, refuse to think about that because they don't like to think that a woman can do such a thing. The women know that, that, that she could. So... Um, they're trying to find out why she did it. And then, but then the question changes is when we discover why she did it, do we want to tell? And that becomes much deeper in terms of what gives reason for a woman who might kind of need to kill in terms of abuse, in terms of um, whatever else is happening in her life. And, and, and how do we stick together as women or how do, how do we, you know, 
serve and pay attention to um, the abuse that she has suffered and allow her to continue to live her life. Um, so it does, it needs both of those. It absolutely, absolutely needs both of those. Um, and so for Christine, in your own work, how have you found the dramatic question? Because you have a lot happening in your book. Yeah, um, that's, I love that example, Michelle. And what it reminds me of, I remember you telling us this in the incubator, and it, it is, I think, a very universal truth with writing. Sometimes, so let's say the writer of that story was thinking, ooh, I want to write a story where the reader figures out who did it. But the real question is, you know, why, why do women kill? Should we tell on women? What is our moral responsibility to the truth? That sort of thing. I think if you pursued broad themes in a broad way, it, it feels very clunky and editorial and, it, and heavy handed. And so by creating a single story with a very particular narrative, a very particular character, you know, as you said, we, we are following this woman with that husband and this mode of death, but we come away with it, with this broader question of what do we owe the truth? Why do women kill? Um, was she justified? Um, and I think that's a very successful approach to getting at those bigger questions is to get as specific with one particular story, because when the reader connects with one character, with one story, I think we then can feel more invested in that feeling that that real depth of connection extrapolates to a larger sort of broader concept. And so in my book, which is I, I gotta start. I joke, it's a lighthearted romantic comedy. That's not true. It's about like rape and serial killers. It's super dark. Um, I had to get as specific about the the what this person is going through, both in detail as well as personality and and voice. My character's voice I made very distinctive, so that you're not thinking about oh, the problem of sexual violence in the world. Oh, the problem with, you know, police brutality in the world. Uh, but rather you're in with her very closely. Um, I love some of the earlier speakers on this um, discussion, Michelle. Some of them talked about how first person can feel claustrophobic. And I agree. And I, I chose deliberately first person present tense because I wanted that claustrophobia because I, I was dealing with really big themes that tend to be quite emotive. So I wanted to get as close to the character um, so that my, my, uh, bare bones dramatic question is who killed her best friend. And that pushes the narrative forward that she's asking that she's trying to find that answer along with the reader. Um, but then by the end of it, the question is, um, well, it sounds like, um, that story you mentioned, Trinkle, uh, Trifles, 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 kind of, kind of, won won this over on me. Um, this idea of um, the justifications of violence. You know, when mm. when is it a good idea to kill? When is it not? When, I was realizing when, when yeah. I summarized it that it's a lot about your novel. So again, like in the work, the book I'm working on now, it's it's there's a there's a guard on duty at the MFA Boston, and while she's on duty, a painting is is attacked right in front of her, and so the question becomes. They, they know very early on who did it, but why the person did it. And to me, I've realized that the, again, the, so why did she do it? And then it's the discovery, why did she do it? But then it becomes what's more important, a person's life 
or a painting <laughs> um, to me in the end. And I'm realizing that that's kind of the deeper question that the dramatic question carries me to. John, what do you think of all this? The, the kind of interplay between just the practical, concrete, dramatic question, because we still need that, right? I mean, I think as a recovering philosopher, I'm all about sort of like what makes life worth living or what's more valuable, like art or life, you know, these kinds of bigger questions. But if we just answer those questions, then we're doing philosophy or we're essayists or whatever else, you know, like, I think our job as novelists is to be professional noticers. You know, like you said this to me in your first letter to me about my novel, actually, like, you know, we get at the particular, we get at the general through the particular. Um, and so, you know, it's not, I, I wouldn't say it's dumbed down to actually sort of invest us in one concrete question, because I think what that does is it makes us care. And that's actually the first job. Like if I tell you I have a book about two sisters and one might kill herself, that raises a question like, will she kill herself? But I don't think anybody listening to this is like, wow, like I, I really need to know, like, will she kill herself, right? Like it's in when you read this book and you come to know these two women, these very particular, very endearing, very troubled women, you love them. And then you care about the answer to this question. So we we make we get at those big ideas like I'm all for and I love them, but I think we have to get at them through dramatizing these questions in ways that make people care. Because we you know we care about other people, most of us anyway, I think, more than we care about big abstractions. Um, so I think I think you know Christine's exactly right about say all my puny sorrows really becomes about like why do we continue to live? But I think it only gets there because you get attached um, to these women. Yeah, perfect. So Arabella in the chat is asking a question, and I've had other questions similar to this, <clears throat> and I have a point of view about it, and I'll ask, ask you guys. So she says, in a historical novel, when the historical events and the characters are big and known, she says, the dramatic question should, should, should be a specific to the character's development, but isn't that difficult when so much of the narrative is known? Would this require a retelling of history, like retelling fairy tales? That is a good story isn't enough. Okay, so first off, there is a difference between the dramatic question and, and, and it's simply a dramatic situation. A dramatic situation might be that there's conflicts. So let's go back to the play Trifles by Susan Glassbell. There's conflict between the men and, and their wives. Um, there's also, um, there was conflict between the woman and the, her husband who she killed. Um, and there's conflict, there's also inner conflict within the women about right and wrong. But unless they have a forward question to answer, um, that situation is not gonna move, it's gonna remain static. Um, and another way to think about it too, I had another question from a, from a writer and, and she asked, her novel is based around a, a character who ages from teens to into their 20s. And the character has a big secret, and, but the character refuses to discuss or tell the secret to anyone, um, the reader or anyone else. Um, and, and so what we're doing is we're just waiting for the character to tell us the secret that happened in the character's past. That is not going to be a workable dramatic question for you because we're just waiting. Yeah. And at any point, the character could tell us, but they're not. 
And so that it can be very frustrating for the reader. Notice that the dramatic question for the protagonist has already been answered. Mm. They already know the answer. And so it doesn't give any, anything for the narrative to do. And there's no discovery for the character themselves. Um, yeah. Christine, what do you think? Because that's just about withholding. Yeah. And it um, to look at Arabella's question, you know, it reminds me, I was a kid when the movie Titanic came out and I really wanted to see it. And I remember my dad saying, I don't want to see it. I know what happens. We all know what happens to the Titanic. And I thought, oh, that's a really good point. I guess we do know what happens in that movie. But I went to see it anyways. And as some of you may know, uh, it's a movie, it's a kind of a tragic love story, but it's set against the backdrop of a well-known event where we do all know what happens. And it doesn't, it's not a retelling, it's not a reimagining, and it um, is very um, graphic in its portrayal of that particular event. And I think, I think there can be a very interesting play that you can do when you have a dynamic that is known whether that's a historical event and we know what the outcome is or whether it is you know maybe like genre conventions like you're writing a love story you're writing a mystery there there is expected to be resolution at the end and then you decide within those pre-scripted confines to create a different narrative a different tension and then to play between the two of those so like if you realize halfway through titanic i haven't seen that movie in like 30 years but they're falling in love and you're like oh this is great but wait the boat's gonna sink i know the boat's gonna sink <gasps> what's gonna happen with doing very little you instantly have this tension that exists like michelle you talk about the the coexistence of multiple tensions well i think when you position a story within a dramatic question that has been answered already you can play against that you can bounce back against that um in, in a way that i think can be deeply satisfying and playful as a writer it's not speculative it's not a retelling of this um it's more how do we utilize the sinking of the ship to increase tension for our characters that's obvious right they got to get off the boat yeah. but then the love story element and bringing in like class issues and blah 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 I'm not yeah, a fan and, of the movie Titanic. I realize I'm sounding <laughs> like I am, but it did pop into my head when we were talking about this. Yeah, I came out of that film so angry and also just tears streaming yeah. down my face. And, and <laughs> it was very annoying. Um, John, what do you think? I mean, I think what you said is really thoughtful. I hadn't thought about it like that exactly, but that the character, you know, the character's already answered the question. So, you know, I I would leave a little space just because I'm I'm intensely you know, uncertain all the time, but that, that in, in, in theory, like disclosure could work. I've definitely, there was a novel I read recently by a writer we both know where the climax, I told him he has this big fire, but then a little bit later, there was a moment where the main character sort of finally tells his ex-wife that he, um, he was involved in his brother's suicide in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And it was devastating to me. Um, and I, I thought this is the climax of this book and it, it worked, but it, it worked because like, I don't think the character had realized that that was sort of the answer to the dramatic question. Oh, okay. And, and we sort of saw ways in which his life sort of brings him to be able to disclose this. But in general, I think you're right. I think like sometimes as writers, 
we have these moments that we think will be aha moments and we want to preserve them and we we get self-conscious and and un, you know lack of confidence about will our plot and characters really hold attention if we give that aha moment away so we we leave it till the end to achieve this kind of epiphany but actually what happens is that readers get frustrated or confused or distracted you know i think you do have to make you know this thing a little bit more concrete and and something the character wouldn't necessarily know. You know, I was also thinking, Michelle, that the fairy tale you sent out yesterday, the rosebud fairy tale. Yeah. I would argue that works on a dramatic question. Yeah. And there's also a question that in some ways is not answered by the story. So there, nobody knows the answer. And the question is sort of left hanging. Um, you know, this story raises this question of who is this kid in the woods who carried the, the, the wood? Uh, and by the end, you know, the story seems to sort of work, I think, by acknowledging this sort of unknowability of that and the uncanniness of what happens. Um, and that curiosity, that sense of wonder, like, pulls you through. So there, I think, like, lack of disclosure, lack of answering actually helps the story. But no character in that little parable, I, at least as I read it, really understands what's happened. What does this mean? There is a dramatic question um, and it go, there's, there's, so there's mystery, but there's no, because it's so short, you don't need to um, activate your characters into acting or doing anything. Um, it actually can remain rather static um, because it's so short. And so this is also a difference between very, very short works and something longer um, in a novel where you're having to cover time. Um, and so if, you know, getting, getting your character to, if your character is just in therapy the whole time and we're just waiting for the therapist to pull out, you know, what they did to their brother when they were 10, um, because they're withholding, it's not, it's not going to give you quite a book, but it can be an important question. It can be a very important question and, but you probably are going to need other questions as well. John, like the, the story you talked about with, um, with the man, I think, saying what he did to his brother. There are other questions at hand that carry it forward, right? Yeah, I think for sure. Um, in, in a way, the book is launched without my having a sense that that's the, the question, that that's sort of the answer to the question. I think we're on the search for a different question and the question gets complicated and complicated until in the end, it becomes relevant that this thing happened with his brother. So it feels it's it's one of the rare instances where epiphany doesn't feel contrived because it feels like um, the search for the answer to other questions reveals that it it points back to something we already knew, but we didn't know that when we started in a certain mm, way. Interesting. Um, you know, there's there's just there's a quote by Kurt Vonnegut. I think it is that I love that he says like you should bankrupt yourself for the reader or something like give give away the whole plot so that. Um, if you, the reader lost the rest of the pages, they would be able to finish it for themselves. And I think that's something I was really terrible at and had a really hard time understanding what that could possibly mean. But I think that comes to mind when I think of dramatic questions and withholding, like trust that the reader will be interested if you give them, you know, answer the question and then complicate it, like move beyond sort of sticking them with what, you know, what is the thing we haven't seen? No, just show me and let's keep going. Yeah, yeah. And so the important thing is, I mean, hopefully what we're doing all these weeks is giving you giving you tools to help you reflect on your work and think about your work. There are no rules, um, even if sometimes we might mistakenly 
seem to say that there are. Um, but always think about, um, okay, how do these tools allow me to reflect back on what I'm doing? Um, and, and what else am I giving to the reader? If I choose not to do this or this or this, because I don't care about that, or it's not interesting to me in terms of what I'm trying to say, what else am I giving to my reader? Christine, any last thoughts on this? Karen's got a great question in the chat. When yeah. is the dramatic question clear to the reader, the right. first pages? You know, that's a good question, Karen. I love, John, what you're saying about putting everything in the beginning. I would say not so that the reader, if they lose the second half of the book, can write it for themselves. No offense to Mr. Vonnegut. But more so that when they get to the end of the book, um, they realize that they've actually been wondering this question all the way through. Yeah. Um, so maybe not in the opening chapter, but I think you could, well, actually, no, I would say plant the seeds of what's going to lead up to the, the big sort of exciting incident, inciting incident, whichever one it is, as well as the larger thematic question early on so that the, the dramatic question percolates in the reader's mind. And when they get to the end of the book or halfway through wherever, they're asking it for themselves. And they think they came up with that thematic question on their own. They're yeah. like, like with my, all my puny sorrows, I was like, wow, this is really why why do some people choose to to stay alive when their life is so full of suffering and others don't and and where's the line there and i and of course that's what thematically the book was about at least how i understood it but at no point did she actually ask that question explicitly and john's right the reason i love that book is because i love the characters and so i only let my brain go into the the musings because i was so invested and i wanted to help figure out I wanted to help these two sisters. Yeah, yeah. And so I think the important thing is you're planting it very early on for the reader, just the basic question, like, yeah. will the sister commit suicide? Um, and in in my second novel, will this, will what happened to the two sisters? Because well, they've disappeared. Where did they go? Um, it's very simple. It's very banal. Um, and yet over the course of the book, hopefully you've complicated to such an extent that the actual original question, we realize that's not the important question, mm -hmm. that yes, it no longer exactly. matters. And that's not really what the novel is about. So you're using it as an engine early on, but then the novel deepens it and even asks the question, why, why are we so curious about who murdered who or who, you know, some, why, why do we stop there? <laughs> um, because the deeper questions are always much more important. Okay, guys, we're going to have to go. I hope that's, that's helping for everybody. Um, thank you so much. And tomorrow we're talking about character and story arcs with Patricia Park and Jennifer DeLeon. If you're local to Boston, um, there's an event for you on Saturday. I'm going to be at the Roasted Granola Cafe in Arlington with a whole bunch of 7 a.m. novelist guests, including Jane Roper, Crystal King, Virginia Pye, Whitney Sher, Anjali Miraduva, and Susan Bernhard. And I'm going to be there from 3.30 on. We're all going to be signing books for the upcoming holidays, because what else could you possibly give to your family members and friends but books? If you support what we're doing, please share, follow, and rate our podcast. And you can find our full schedule at 7amnovelist.substock.com. I am losing my voice and I need to get to my writing desk as well. Thank you so much, Christine. And thank you so much, John. I hope everyone has a fabulous writing morning. Have you lost what you found? Do you really understand how you sift for a love in the sand? Like a leaf inside the wind.
There isn't nothing here at all. 